where the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so, in your outline, I think I uh, included uh, the verse here at, in 2 Peter 1.3, where we're reminded as believers, and I, I, I'd like to uh, uh, you know, bring this to mind, because the believer has been given, uh, and you'll see, I say, with the abiding result. That's because it's a perfect. The believer is given or uh, granted uh, all things... Uh, that pertain unto life and godliness. And so we have everything we need to live the spiritual life. There's so many things uh, that we didn't get to cover. You know, we're trying to cover a, a broad range of topics. We're kind of setting framework. We're not really taking a microscopic look at things. Uh, so, you know, I end up giving information overload sometimes when we do this, uh, and we're just trusting, you know, God can use that in the hearts and uh, minds of believers. Uh, but as a believer, you have been given, and with the abiding result, that you have all things that pertain unto life, spiritual life and godliness. Now, godliness is the manifest the manifestation of God's life through human activity. And so we'll take a look. Well, we could do that right now. Let, let me just, uh, let's turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. In 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. And so I'm, I'm just going to pause there uh, because when we're talking about godliness, the, the, as a believer, we have the potential to manifest godliness. Now, unfortunately, the King James uh, didn't help us w- with the term godly. Uh, we don't have any humans in the Old Testament manifesting God's life. The God-man was the first one. And we are extensions of him in Christ, and because he's in us, we have the potential to manifest God's quality of life. And so we have been given, we've been granted everything that pertains unto life and godliness. And so when we talk about grace and you know, being able to live in the provisions of grace, uh, you know, this relates to how we put this together in our Christian life. So I gave you a concise statement, uh, tried to be concise, that deals with a couple of the important things uh, related to this. Now there's a number of, of other things. I'm kind of getting an echo here. I'm not sure. So, um, um, but at salvation, the believer is born into the family of God. And so uh, when we're talking about born, we're talking about regeneration, the new birth, born again, born from above, um, and so a result of the Christian's spiritual birth or regeneration is that God the Son indwells the believer. And God the Son, he's the eternal one. He imparts his life to the believer. That life is eternal life. Now, eternal life, we want to define that because it's not everlasting life. Eternal life is God's quality of life that has no beginning or end. 
And we possess this life because of the indwelling Son. So let's just go ahead and turn to 1 John in chapter 5 and verse 11. So here the apostle says, and this is the record. Uh, the word record here is just, this is the witness that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in the Son of Him. He that has the Son has the life, the previous mentioned life, the eternal life. And he that has not the Son of God has not the previously mentioned life, eternal life. John goes on, he says, These things I have written unto you, the ones believing on the name or character of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So he wants believers to know that we have it, we possess it. We're not waiting for it, we're not trying to earn it, it's not part of our present tense, or excuse me, it's not part of our future tense salvation, we have it now. <clears throat> and uh, and so we're talking about a life that has uh, that is without beginning or end. God's quality of life. When we're talking about eternal life, now the promise of this life. There was a number of places, but let's just go to uh, John three. Um, I'm going to probably. Just we'll we'll just take a look at John three sixteen. I'm going to try and make some uh, room for time here. Um, And so this is, you know, a pretty popular verse. And when I was a kid and we watched the NFL football, we used to see this guy on TV who wore a, 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 back then the rainbow had a different connotation, but this guy wore a rainbow wig, and then he held up the sign, and I don't know how he traveled around the country, but he was always uh, somewhere around the end zone, and and the and the TV cameras would show this guy, and he would hold up, you know, John three sixteen, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, John three sixteen here just uh, uh, for God, and it's the God so loved, uh, adverb he loved this manner, he loved the world that he gave. The idea of at a point in time, uh, the only begotten, the idea of the the only unique, one-of-a-kind son. Now, the word whosoever can be a little bit misleading. Some people will try and use this as as a gospel message, saying whosoever, like an invitation. It's not whosoever, it's just in the Greek, it's just literally everyone uh, uh, believing. Uh, so, so that everyone believing into him should not perish but have eternal life. And, uh, and we know uh, that we have eternal life because of the indwelling Son of God. And so uh, uh, we have eternal life because of the indwelling self-existent one. He, had, he has uh, uh, life within himself. So let's go ahead. I said we were going to go here a little earlier. Let's go to John chapter 1 and verse 1. Um, <clears throat> again, we're going to 
draw a couple things from the Greek just for clarification, uh, little nuggets. We have a number of imperfect verbs, of I, the imperfect I-me verbs, that emphasize continuous action and past time. And so you have three of them in verse 1, you have one in verse 2, and you have two of them in verse 4. And so in your English translation, you're going to just see it translated was. But the the concept here is continuously was. And so in John 1.1, 1, 1, in a beginning, it's Ann Arthur's in the Greek, in a beginning, uh, continuously was the word. You'll see word is capitalized. We're talking about the Son of God here, uh, the eternal word. In a beginning, continuously was the word. And the word continuously was uh, with God. This is that pros. Um, preposition facing and so the word continuously was facing the god and the the word continuously was as to character and quality god (laughs) and so we're talking about the word we're talking about the second person of the godhead and this is uh, testifying to his deity Uh, he always was and is as the character and quality god And the same was in the beginning with the God, facing, again, this is pros, facing the God, uh, in any beginning. And then we see in verse 3, all things, uh, King James says, were made, just just came to be uh, by him. It's actually a dia, just uh, the idea of all things came to be through him. And without him or apart from him, that him should be capitalized, uh, was not anything made that was made. And so uh, he's the person uh, through uh, whom uh, uh, God created. Now we see in verse 4, in him continually was life. In other words, he's self-existent. And the life was the light of men. And so when we get to light and darkness, a fun uh, study in Scripture, uh, you know, light deals with the manifestation of God's life by activity in the New Testament. Darkness is dealing with the absence of God's life being manifested. And so in him continuously was life, and the life continuously was the light of men. He came and he manifested God's quality of life through human activity. Uh, he was the first human to be able to do that as the God-man. And so we have eternal life. It's a life that's imparted to us. It's part of uh, uh, the self-existent one being uh, in us. Um, now, as we relate to eternal life, uh, we can go to John 17 and we can see some of the purposes of this. Uh, I've just listed a couple, but this one's important, uh, especially in light of our verse when the Lord says, I uh, am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's go to John 17, and we'll pick up in verse 1. And again, this is the Lord's communication with the Father. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify you. As you have given him, uh, the word 
powers authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And then he says, and this, I'm going to change where the is is uh, in this verse, uh, just based on some uh, Greek grammar uh, that I don't want to go into the details, but this eternal life is this, that they might know you, that they might, and the word know here is experientially know you. This is how we can experientially know not only Christ, but the Father. And so he says, in this eternal life is this, that they might experientially know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou have sent. And so to experientially know the Father. Um, now, um, I also have uh, Colossians one twenty seven because uh, this... Uh, makes reference to Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. That's kind of a fun verse. Uh, A lot of implications here. And we'll just drop right into the context. Uh, Paul says, To whom uh, the God uh, desired to make known, it's experientially known, What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ you, uh, excuse me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, glory has the idea of opinion. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Um, Hope comes from a promise from God. And so the glory you know, matching up to God's opinion, when it's based upon a promise from God, that hope is not if. (laughs) This is, is in a sense, a guarantee, if you will. Christ in you, the the promise of glory, the, the hope from the promise of glory. In other words, Christ in you guarantees that you will ultimately match up to God's opinion of who he sees you as, of what you are. Now, he's going to switch over here and uh, make reference to a, p- the position in Christ. Because this is how believers now, in present tense salvation, how can we match up to God's opinion of who we are? Well, we have to start to relate to our position in Christ. What is our position in Christ? It's how God sees us now. It's what he imputes to us in Christ. We're in Christ by spirit baptism. And so he goes on, in whom we preach, in verse 28, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present each man or each one uh, perfect, or the idea of mature in Christ Jesus. And that's really uh, what we strive for in the Christian life is, is, is to be able to practice uh, Paul says, my ways which be in Christ. You know, being able to access the provisions of grace by counting to ourselves what God the Father counts to us as revealed in his word. And, uh, and so that brings us into uh, resurrection life. And so uh, 
Coming back into the top of the outline in the statement at the top, we read down to uh, 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 every Christian has eternal life as a result of having the indwelling Son. You know, at the same instant that we are born into the family of God, we're also baptized or immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And we took a look at this verse uh, last night, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, clearly uh, illustrates that. That's how we got into the body of Christ. Um, and then uh, we'll just continue on. In Christ, the believer is counted. The idea, you could put the word reckoned or imputed. Uh, to have died with Christ, to have been buried with Christ, been raised with Christ, to be seated together with him in the heavenlies. And I give you some of the corresponding passages. But as a result of spirit baptism, the believer has resurrection life. And so as a result of our uh, initial salvation is we have two forms of life that we didn't have prior. We have one, we have eternal life because of the indwelling Son of God, the self-existent one, and... uh, Uh, is in us. He indwells us. And we have resurrection life because we're counted to be in the resurrected one. (laughs) And so that's by imputation. And and so uh, let me just go to Colossians 2.12 and uh, we can see Paul makes reference to the believer uh, being co-buried and co-raised with Christ. And so Colossians 2.12 says, buried with him. Uh, In the Greek, it's a compound word. That's why I say co. There's a compound word with a soon preposition that means intimately together. And so it's it's more than buried with him. It's co-buried intimately together with him by baptism, by spirit baptism. And then wherein, I would just translate it, in whom also you are co-risen. With him. And so we're counted to be co raised with Christ through the faith of the operation uh, of God who has raised him out from dead ones. Um, And so we can just illustrate that. Now, when we talk about uh, the life, our life in Christ, we're talking about resurrection life. We've touched on this a little bit already in dealing with the sin nature. You know, we want to live resurrection life because that's a life where we're living above the sin nature and above law as a means to try and deal with the sin nature. And so when we're living resurrection life, we're actually allowing the Holy Spirit then to take up the battle with the sin nature. And then the Holy Spirit makes us alive by filling us with the fruit. Ultimately, we're going to be able to manifest or reflect out the indwelling Christ. This is... Living by grace, this is one of the great privileges that we have uh, uh, as children of God. And so, concerning the promise of life in Christ, let's just take a look at uh, 2 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ... um, Uh, By the will of God and uh, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. 
And so he's, he's talking here that the promise of life, which is in uh, Christ Jesus, is resurrection life, living free from serving the sin nature, living free uh, from law. And so let's make a connection here. I probably should have put this in your outline, but you could make a jot a note to add uh, Romans 8.2 here. And so in Romans 8.2... Now, the word law here uh, can be used in a number of ways. Here, I, I understand it to be used as a principle. You could think of the law of gravity is used in that way. We're talking about the principle of gravity when we say the law of gravity. I, I believe this is being used in uh, this fashion here. And so the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of the sin. It's articular, the sin, this, the sin nature, and the death. And, and so, uh, you know, again, we're just getting a little bit of a glimpse of, of resurrection life. And so, uh, uh, when we... Uh, <clears throat> now, let me go ahead and... Uh, uh, the resurrection fact, I, I missed, I skipped some verses here. Um, you can... You know, we considered 1 Corinthians 15, 4, and 20. You've got some perfect tense verbs that states that uh, Christ has been raised with the abiding result that he stands raised. It's a, it's a fact. I call it the, the resurrection fact, right? And uh, the resurrection promise for us, let's just let's do this through uh, Romans 6, 5. We don't need to go through to all of these, but let's go to Romans 6, 5. <coughs> And so here we have a promise in Scripture. It says, For if or since we have been uh, planted, or the idea of united together in the likeness of his death, how is that? By imputation. Remember, we're counted to have died with Christ by imputation. And so since we've been united together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so that's a promise. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so let me just go ahead and, you know, that's part of our future tent salvation. You know, it relates to the happy hope, uh, you know, the rapture. By the way, you know, we, we talk about the rapture. That's the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. You know, we're not, we're not waiting. Uh, we're, we, we don't need to be reading the tea leaves or watching for signs. Uh, uh, you know, the table may be set, but the rapture could happen any moment. Um, there's nothing that has to happen before the rapture happens. Uh, and, and when that happens, we we're going we're to be like him. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 3. Now, in the King James, uh, the word sons here uh, should be children. Uh, For some, it's not a significant change. But remember, all believers are sons by spirit baptism. Um, All believers are children by regeneration, the new birth. 
And so this is actually uh, looking at the birth. It says, Beloved, now we are uh, the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. And, uh, you know, and so this is the re- you know, reference to the resurrection promise. We're going to be like him in his glorified and resurrected human body. And so uh, uh, that's important uh, as far as being like him in his glorified and resurrected human body. And, uh, and so, you know, this imputed life, we have resurrection life because we are imputed to be in the resurrected one. Um, this is, was referenced in the Upper Room Discourse in John fourteen twenty when he says, in, in that day you will experientially know that ye are in me, and I in you, the ye in me. Uh, that's dealing with our imputed position in Christ. And uh, so as Christians, uh, we have a privilege, we have a responsibility, we have a potential to be mentally living in the reality of being in Christ. The Word of God tells us about this position in Christ. There are a lot of references in the New Testament about our position in Christ. And to be able to live by grace, we have to do things God's way. <laughs> uh, we don't want to take old Frank's lead there, <laughs> right? And, and do things my way, as Frank would say. And so uh, the idea of ordering our lives on the, on the basis of the imputed resurrection life, let, let's take a look at Romans 6, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 2 here. And read down through verse 4. Uh, May it never be. How shall we that died to the sin nature live any longer by it? Again, we died to the sin nature. The sin nature didn't die. Don't you know? Know you not? Don't you know? that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, in verse 4, with drawing a conclusion here, therefore we are buried with him through baptism. So the idea we're co-buried with him through the baptism, the spirit baptism, uh, into the death. And then he says, as... Like as Christ was raised up from the dead, uh, not by, but it's actually literally through the glory of the Father. Now remember, glory has the root concept of opinion. And so as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory, the opinion of the Father, even so we should walk, we could translate this in or by newness of life this resurrection life that's imputed to us. And the, and the word walk, it's a Greek term, peripateo. Peri means around, pateo, to walk. 
We don't really have a great English word to translate this. Uh, the Australians probably come the closest with their walkabout. You know, Perry means around, and to walk. To, uh, but it ha- has the idea of how we order our lives, how we go about ordering the details of our lives. And so the, here we see, uh, as uh, Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so, we also should order our lives in this newness of life, this imputed life to us. And so this is something that we can do, and we've kind of already covered these uh, verses when we looked at uh, the truth and the body of doctrine in Romans 6, how to live free from serving the sin nature. Now, Romans 7 is a fascinating chapter, I was sharing with uh, uh, Pastor Dennis. We have uh, uh, the same affinity for for Romans in chapters 5 through 8. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of really fun things uh, in these chapters. You know, Paul was struggling at a point uh, when he was carnal. And you see that in the latter point of Romans 7 where the two natures are battling. But Paul's carnal. And so the, the sin nature is always winning out. And so Paul arrives at the conclusion that uh, uh, he can't do it in his own strength. And so in 724, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, <laughs> who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He needs rescuing. He can't do it in his own strength. And so and then verse 25 Paul here, now I've already mentioned mende to you, so you guys are somewhat familiar with that. The mende clause means on the one hand this, and on the other hand, we've got this going on. So we've got two things. So when we get to 25, we have another mende clause. And so again, here, I thank God uh, for the Greek guys. Uh, It's charis, it's grace. And so I'd like to translate this as gratitude for grace is to the God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then, we, so now we got the mentes, the mende clause. So then, on the one hand, with the mind, I myself serve a law, a principle of God. But with the flesh, but on the other hand, with the flesh, a law of sin sin and uh, and so Paul here recognizes that God has provided the answer uh, he doesn't have to be involved in this battle on his own uh, trying to live out the new nature uh, in his own strength um, when he lives in the, that God has provided the rescue. He's provided the answer through Jesus Christ. And so Paul had to learn to direct his mind, to use his mind. Now remember, as a human, we're tripart. Tripart means we have three parts. We have two immaterial parts, the soul and the spirit. And so let me just show you the easiest place that we can demonstrate that is in 1 Thessalonians. And, then, and so I'm breaking a rule as I'm trying to wind things down. You're not supposed to introduce new things, but uh, 
<laughs> Once I say something, I feel compelled to show Scripture so we, you know that it's based upon Scripture. It's not just me uh, spouting this stuff. And so let, let's take a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 and verse 23. Uh, in the Greek, this is even more clear than you see it in the English. We'll, we'll just put it that way. And so Paul says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And so he's uh, making this uh, communication uh, to sanctify you wholly, entirely, completely. And then we're going to see the entirety of mankind. He says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body. Three parts, two, two immaterial parts. The human spirit is the seed of rational thinking. The soul is the seed of emotions. And of course, the material part is the physical body. At initial salvation, initial salvation takes place in the realm of the human spirit. The soul, its salvation is tied to our future tense salvation. And so... Remember, we started off this message as the believer has been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You know, one of those things is uh, in the realm of uh, the salvation that's tied to our human spirit is we've been given a new mind. We have a quality of the mind of Christ. We have a potential to think differently than we did prior to salvation. We have a renewedness of mind. It's part of regeneration. And so uh, I went after that because in Romans 7.25, on the one hand, Paul says, I serve a principle of God, I myself with the mind. He's using the part of his uh, initial salvation of being saved in the realm of the human spirit. Now, illustrate this really quick when the Lord was speaking to Nicodemus he, he told Nicodemus that which is born out from the spirit is spirit and uh, uh, and so that's where our new salvation occurs by the way when you're filled by the spirit that also is going to take place in the realm of the human spirit spirit filling and so when you think of the fruit from the spirit don't be thinking of emotional terms. Be thinking of rational terms. And some of those words, you might be thinking emotional. You, know, you might see joy. And, and we think of joy a lot of times uh, in an emotional. But as, uh, as an aspect of the fruit from the Spirit, for instance, joy isn't uh, a feeling. It's a mental process which, whereby the believer appreciates what God's doing. It's a supernatural mental appreciation for circumstances and situations regardless of what's going on. So anyway, uh, uh, coming back to uh, this idea of uh, uh, imputing what God imputes, uh, we've been through some of this in Romans 6 already. I won't go back there. Uh, we actually... Uh, uh, we, we went to Colossians 3, 1 through 3. You know, since you've been co-raised with Christ, keep setting your frame of mind on, on the things above, not on the earth. Uh, that's important. You know, our citizenship is in the, is in the heavens. <laughs> We're just passing through here. 
We don't want to be caught up in just seeing our situation, our circumstances, ourself as reflected in our lives here. We want to be relating to God's word. We want our attitude, our viewpoint uh, to be uh, from God's perspective, if you will. And so we need to continually uh, set our frame of mind, our reflective thinking on these things above related to our position in Christ. Um, Let's look at just a couple other things here. Uh, let's go ahead and this idea of being, uh, we'll go down to, uh, on, let's see, where am I? Uh, I'm on uh, point F, uh, being found mentally in Christ to experientially know him. Let me use this here. Uh, let's go to Philippians 3.9. We'll touch on this. Now, it's, it's a lot of fun to cover this in the larger context. I'm just going to drop right into verse 9. Uh, Paul says, and, and be found in him. He's talking about Christ is the him that he's referring to. Now, to be found in him, he's not talking about uh, you know, entering into Christ. He is in Christ. He wants to be found mentally in his position in Christ. And so here Paul says, and be found in him. Uh, not having my own righteousness, righteousness, which is out from law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is out from God on the basis of faith. And so, and we could go to a number of verses, but, um, you know, we, talked, we touched on this last night. In Christ, we've, are, we've been declared righteous before the Father. Uh, we have... Christ's righteousness. Um, but here Paul explains the reason he wants to be found mentally in Christ. We've got a couple things in verse 10, and I'm just going to briefly touch on this. He says that I may experientially know him. Uh, and so to know him, it's experientially know him. That's how he's going to experientially know his Lord and Savior. And the power of his resurrection. And so to be found mentally in Christ, he can... He can know the inherent ability of Christ's resurrection. We can, we can experientially know that and the power of it as we live it. We're living above serving the sin nature. We're living above using law to try and deal with the, with the flesh. And then we, he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, fascinating concept when you look at the concept of suffering in the New Testament. Uh, you know, we've been graciously given to suffer on behalf of Christ. Um, I'm just I'm tempted to go after it. I'm not going to. Uh, but it's one of the ways that God, uh, in his uh, uh, will, can choose for a believer to uh, glorify him. is through how we suffer. And so the world is going to want to change the circumstances to look to get out of the suffering where the believer can focus on the will of God and apply the provisions of grace. And it's how the believer goes through circumstances that can really set the believer apart in this world and actually can be light and darkness as we allow ourselves to manifest God's life by activity. The world is the epitome of darkness, the absence of God's life seen in activity. Well, the Christian has the opportunity to be a little luminary 
if he cooperates with God in living by grace. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and, and, and Paul goes on just being uh, made uh, conformable or just conformed uh, to his death. And so I'm, I'm not, I won't touch on that uh, anymore. Um, but uh, I want to cu- touch on a couple of these things really quick just to tie it off. Resurrection life allows eternal life to be lived out. Resurrection life activates eternal life. And so eternal life is God's quality of life. That cannot be reflected out through the sin nature. And so we're going to have to be doing Romans 6 so that we can be free from it living above the sin nature. That also means we're going to be free and living above using law because uh, we're going to be living by grace instead and cooperating with God. Uh, and then that eternal life can be lived out. And so in our remaining time, I'll just pick a couple places. Uh, let's go to Galatians 2.19. We're on Roman numeral 4, uh, uh, point C. Uh, Galatians 2.19. And so this is an example of Paul. And you get a little bit of a glimpse of how resurrection life and eternal life work together. So here Paul says, For I through law... Uh, died to law, that I might live unto God. And what Paul is saying is if he's alive to law, he's also doing things in his own strength. He's going to be alive to the sin nature. He's dealing with the sin nature in his own strength. But he wants to live unto God. So he says, I through law died to law, that I might live unto God. Then he says, I am co-crucified with Christ. How is the believer co-crucified with Christ? By imputation. It's part of being in Christ. We've been co-crucified. We died together with Christ. We've been buried together with Christ. We've been raised together with Christ. We've been co-seated together with Christ at the right hand in the heavenlies. And so Paul says, I am co-crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He's talking about resurrection life his imputed life in Christ. And now this is going to activate the eternal life, Christ in him. He says, Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, the self-existent one now through a new nature. Now I'm given more information here, but we have a new nature because of the indwelling Father. And so resurrection life allows eternal life to be lived through a quality of the divine nature. <laughs> and, uh, and so, again, you can see resur- res- resurrection life works hand in glove with eternal life. So it can be lived out. And uh, uh, he says, the life which I now live in flesh, I live by faith. Uh, of or concerning the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. And there's another who pair. He gave himself in place of me, on behalf of me. Looking at that substitutionary concept. Now we, Paul gets to verse 21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace from God. 
It's literally the word for place or to set with an alpha privative. It just literally means I do not set aside the grace from God. <laughs> he welcomes it. He's, his aim is to live within light of it. He says, I do not set aside the grace from God. And then he explains, for if righteousness comes through, it's, it's through and, and not the law, but it's any quality of law. If righteousness comes through any quality of law, he's talking about righteousness before God, uh, then Christ died in vain for, for no purpose. There was no reason. He didn't need to, in other words. And, and so, I mean, the obvious conclusion is uh, righteousness before God doesn't come through any quality of law, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, so let's, uh, uh, let me go to point D, uh, and we can use this maybe as our ending uh, verses. You have some other things here. Uh, you can look those up on your own. But going back to Romans 6, and we'll pick up in Romans 6.22. Now, before we read 22 and 23, now, if you're reading the King James, I didn't check what the other translations are doing here, and I don't recall off the top of my head. But in verse 23 at the end, it says, uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's actually an end preposition in the Greek. So it should be translated as either in or by. Now, by the context here, Paul is talking about putting a, a body of doctrine into practice so the believer can live free from serving the sin nature to live unto God. And he said uh, uh, kind of the outcome of being able to put this into practice is eternal life to be able to manifest it, to live it out. So you see that in verse 22. But now being made free from the sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit uh, unto or because of, and the word holiness is sanctification, and the end, kind of the outcome, is eternal life. Now Paul says, and he explains with the explanatory gar for, the wages of the sin... The sin nature is death. It's separation. But the gift from God, and it's the the gracious gift, um, the gracious gift from God is eternal life, and I translate this in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, almost always when you see life in Christ Jesus, that's in reference to resurrection life. But in light of this context, what I believe he's saying is the gracious gift is to live out eternal life in in your position in Christ, from your position in Christ. And so I'd like to translate it, for the wages of the sin is death, but the gracious gift from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about having it. If he was talking about having it, then I would say by Jesus Christ. But he's talking about living it, living it out. We have to do that from our foundation of in Christ. 
to live it out. That's the gracious gift from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord to be able to live it out. Um, we kind of talk about godliness uh, and you have some references to godliness. You know, godliness, remember we looked at the definition God's life seen in the activity of the human. And Christians are encouraged to pursue godliness. We're told we can exercise ourselves unto godliness. Uh, One of the things that Paul says is godliness uh, with contentment is great gain. And so God has given us this gift to be able to take hold of eternal life and experience it. It's one of the ways we can experientially know our Lord. We can experientially know the Father, and uh, godliness with contentment. Contentment has the idea of it's enough. It's enough. (laughs) Uh, When we understand the gift that God has given us, the privileges of grace, we don't deserve one iota of it. Uh, It just magnifies God's grace when we understand that God has given us with the abiding results that we have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so let us grow by grace uh, in the experiential knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time together. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit who uh, guides us into truth. And we're thankful as we relate to your word, we can grow Uh, in our appreciation of who you are and who our Lord and Savior is and what he's provided on our behalf. Uh, May we continue to think on these things and may you uh, receive glory through these activities here this weekend. And uh, may you continue to bless your children in special ways. In Christ's name, amen.